Welcome home. You're listening to 180 Church Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. I'm your host, Joe Lou, and today I'm joined by Pastor Lydia, who's the co-founder of 180 Church and the pastor of Transformation. And today we're going to be talking about how we can really identify in our lives what it means to have sincere and genuine heart of worship for God. And I think for a lot of us that might be feeling like we have a lot of competing interests uh, regarding our faith and regarding all the things that we have in life, whether it's, you know, accumulation of assets and wealth or whether it's, you know, the busyness of our days or our wanting to have leisure, it seems like a lot of the times we can feel the tension of being in between um, what it means to really live our lives for God, but at the same time being tugged at in so many different directions. Um, and so Dr. Sammy really shares with us and expounds on what it means to, uh, what it means for us believers and followers, and even those who are seeking what it looks like to have a sincere heart because God really looks at our direction and not really the perfection, which is encouraging for us. Um, and so give this, give this sermon a listen. Here's Dr. Sammy. Today's sermon is given by Dr. Sammy D. Kim, a co-founder of 180 Church NYC, a bioethics fellow in global health and social medicine at Harvard Medical School, and a regular contributor at Christianity Today. Today's scripture is from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. 
There he built an altar to the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So when tense things happened in the news, and we talk immediately about just the horrific events that took place in El Paso and in Texas, uh, and the, they're, they're really about competing interests and polarization in our country. So I want to focus a bit on something just to get our minds off of it, and I'll come back to it. Um, nothing will take your mind off of tragedies like celebrity gossip. Okay, so let's go to this first, and I, I'll bring and wrap it around and come back to it. So, people in, in our community are dating, and um, people have asked me about, on numerous occasions, about prenups. Okay? Well, prenups, and I'm, I won't give you an answer. If you want to really know, come talk to me, okay? Maybe you're from Means and you need one, but probably a lot of you don't need it. You're like, prenup, why? I have 25 cents to my name. Makes no sense to get a prenup, pun intended. Now, so, you know, people have asked me about prenups, you know, so they've got, you know, Aaron Grande and Pete Davidson, we know from SNL. We totally knew that this was a rebound when they dated. The, the most accomplished person from Staten Island is Pete Davidson when this ha he got engaged to her, I believe, you know. Um, and, you know, they got a prenup. Uh, I mean, what is a prenup about? Well, it's about competing interests, right? One party, depending on the columns in your net worth, has little to lose, or the other party has what? A lot to lose. And depending on what those columns are, they're about competing interest. And in celebrity marriages, the percentage is really horrific. Most likely, if a celebrity gets married, they will what? End up in divorce, right? I mean, we've seen this over and over again. Celebrities have two, three marriages. You know, the greatest celebrity is the president of the United States of America, and he has, what, three marriages. And so, is a prenup make sense if your column is high? Well, some people say, well, it's about competing interests. It does make sense because you have more to lose. I remember when we were first getting, my wife and I first got married, and um, we did life insurance and stuff like that. You know, the, I went by myself to do life insurance, and they asked me, I go, so do you, know, do you want to protect yourself with prenup? I said, why? Because, you know, if all this money accumulates, you want to protect your interest. I said, give it to her if we get divorced. Because we're not. <laughs> and they're like, he goes, oh, I just want to advise you as your financial advisor. This is not a good idea. I've seen ugly divorces, even with Christians. Well, I'm like a pastor, so if that happens, then she deserves all the money. <laughs> as, as, a prove, as a point, <laughs> you know, of contention, right? Um, so it's, it's really about who has more to lose. In, in, in fact, if you go to another celebrity marriage, this really recently happened, you know, between JB and Haley Baldwin, now Haley Bieber, whatever it is, in, in this uh, Vogue. I mean, uh, Justin Bieber is worth around, they say, half a billion dollars. She's worth around five million dollars. They have no prenup. It's all about love for them. But, you know, I don't know, you know, like, 
Some people say Justin's going to break up with Haley soon because he's still in love with Selena Gomez. I think, you know, sometimes I don't really get into the celebrity gossip stuff. And I know I've written an article right now that's, you know, going viral about really important stuff. But, you know, this stuff interests me, too. <laughs> but I think he's, he might be in love with Selena Gomez. I don't know. I'm confused. He even wrote a song about it, you know. You know, my, my, and he was so upset, he even said that my mom likes everyone, but not you. Remember that song? I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, um, but, but anyway, let me get back to the point, okay? But, but here is human nature, in human nature, when you have nothing, it's easy to commit to things. When you have nothing to lose, you take amazing risks. And you go on these adventures and you, and you say yes to many things because you have nothing to lose. See, what, what happens is when you begin to accumulate assets through ascension, whether through degrees, through titles, through positions, and capitalization, and you begin to grow your net worth, you want to protect your interests more and more. And so those two things, like love and commitment to things like values, they come into collision. They come into conflict. Last week I talked about how Abram, who eventually in Genesis 22 becomes Abraham, his name is changed, the founder of monotheism, the founder of Judaism, and biblically speaking, right, the beginning promise of Jesus coming into fruition in the Gospels in the New Testament. How do you know that Abraham had real faith? How can you see real evidence of real faith in someone's life? Because, you see, when you're young and you're flexible and you're single, you know, and you're in your 20s and your teens, you know, church is great because you might meet someone that you marry. Like a lot of people in our church, they're married as a benefit. And then going to small group is easy because you have nothing else to do. You got no kids to watch. Trust me, that's hard. That's another job in itself. Just look at the rates of how much we pay nannies in Manhattan. Okay. And, and they want benefits now, too, because it, they know how hard it is. But the more and more you accumulate, it's difficult, right? So Abram, in, in this story of Genesis, you've seen him in Genesis 12 come out of Pharaoh's house. And we talked about this last week. He lied. He had some ten ch character flaws about his wife. And he comes out. But when he comes out, he comes out with a lot of stuff. In, in, in a sense, because of the promise of God in his life and the hand of God on his life, he becomes very wealthy. And that's the tension of the text in Genesis 13. And you see now he has more to lose than less. Right? Because he becomes, and now his nephew Lot, who's actually older, him, older than him, by the way. Strange things happen in Mesopotamia, but I don't ask how or why. But, you know, um, they, they have to part ways because of the accumulation of stuff. And so when you begin to look at Abraham's life through the lens of economics, an economic lens, you begin to, begin to see what real faith looks like when you begin to acquire more stuff. And you'll begin to see that even though Abraham was flawed and his worship and his faith was flawed, his faith and worship was genuine. Amen? A lot, a lot of us in this room, right? You're flawed, aren't you? 
know a lot of people. You're definitely flawed. So am I. But how, do you, how can you tell? How can you tell that Abram just said yes to God because he needed a son and his wife was barren and, and he had to follow the promise? But how do you know that he had real faith? And I think Genesis 13 is empirical evidence that he had real faith. Even though he had shady dealings and, and character tensions, he had real, genuine faith. So I want to prove that to you. Where is, where is the evidence of real faith in his life? That's the question I would answer. So let's go to this text and kind of parallel to our lives. It will be a challenge to us. So, so Abraham went from Egypt, right? We saw that, to Nevgev with his wife. And everything he had, a lot, lot went with him. Abraham had become very what? Wealthy. Wealthy. In livestock and in silver and gold. And it says that in verse 10, because they had a tension of so much accumulation of wealth that they had to part ways. So Lot chooses to part ways by looking at what? The whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor as well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So, so look at this. They both have become wealthy. Why be on a mission? Why continue your journey when right near the Euphrates River, right near Egypt, is a beautiful landscape, well-watered plains. You know, it's like getting a house in Malibu. That's some of your dreams, right? You want a house near like a beach, a dream home where you can kick back and drink those little umbrella drinks like the whole day and not go to work. Some people want to do this, right? I mean, it, it's, that's what people are all working toward. Their assets, their 401k, 401b, retirements, investments, asset, you know, all of this. Asset allocations, et cetera, et cetera. This is what they're working toward. This dream of being near a beautiful place with beautiful people and beautiful umbrella drinks. And so they acquired enough wealth. They didn't have to continue the mission. And, and Lot says, you know what? I'm going to settle here. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go anymore. I want to stop at this beautiful place, buy a mansion, and be chilling. Right? But if you look at verse 18, it says that Abram, right, where it says here in verse 18, where he what? He pitched his what? Tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. He didn't stop. He had the assets necessary to settle down near the Euphrates. But he decided to live in a tent. Tell someone he lived in a tent. I want you to propose to someone one day and say, hey, you know, I have a great idea. I want to live a tent in Africa. Let's become a missionary. Five seconds, no. Unless, like, you know, you guys are called for that. But it's not an attractive lifestyle. But, but here it is. A lot of you could live in a tent because you have no money. 
right? I mean, that's just the reality. It might save you money. You live in Central Park, no rent to pay, no cost, no electricity. You know, just get a gym membership, go shower. Might be the fastest way to get out of debt and pay your school loans, whatever. It might be the smartest thing to do. But for Abraham, he acquired great wealth. So there is this paradox, there is this tension of someone very wealthy choosing to live nomadic, choosing to live in a tent, the billionaire tent maker. And that's where you see, even though he's flawed, you begin to see he's on mission. Yeah, his character, he has those issues like a lot of us self-preservation. I don't want to die. You know, I don't want to lose. He has all those anxieties, all those fears that we have, but he's on a mission. He has not abandoned to settle down even though he has, what? The means to do so. He's living in a tent. A billionaire tent. Who does that? So you begin to see the emotional ecology behind the scenes of Abraham's life, why he became the father of faith. You see, even though he wasn't, he had kinks to work out in his character, his direction was flawless. His heart for God, even though it failed, was there. Because he lived nomadically, sporadically, and he followed. I know this disparity and this polarity in my own life with, with believers that have great wealth. I'm on the board in an organization with the grandkids of Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby's equivalent to the Michaels here. You know the arts and crafts? You are, all you artists right now, you should be thinking of how to make arts, arts and crafts supplies to stores. It's a billion dollar business, all right? They're worth, that family is worth like $8 billion. And they had a vote a few years ago where they said, we're going to give you all the shares of Hobby Lobby to each members of the family. And they gave out all the shares, and those shares were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And the two people I know, the grandkids, said, we don't want them. So they gave it back to them. And then we, we heard the story, and we're like, why? Do they have like 10%? You know, it's like, why would you do that? They go, because that's not our mission. They work for Hobby Lobby. They work for the Museum of the Bible. They started all that. But they're like, that's not our goal. We don't want our life to be about not able to do nothing. It will ruin our lives. And so many of you are hearing this, you're like, it won't ruin your life. It'll solve all my problems right now. It's incredible to me, a lot of the high net worth individuals I meet that are believers got that way because they have something called values. Money is a utility to them. It is not their identity. It is not their idol. Hundreds of million dollars in front of them, they could just sign and leave and they'll be set for life. But no, they give it away. And said, we want, and that's why Hobby Lobby can give 50% of all sales, not profits, all sales to the Christian mission. And people can say a lot of things about Hobby Lobby and the political sphere and all of this and, and the conservative things that they do. They can say all that, you know what, and that's fine. 
not necessarily saying I agree with everything, but hey, they embody faith. They, they put their money where their mouth is. And then, in the last two decades, I've, I have met people that are like peasants. Peasants, like, compared to hundreds of millions to 50,000, can't tithe to God. Can't do it. And the, the funny thing is, I talked to peeps about this. We helped them get the jobs. We put them in there. We did their resumes. We wrote the recommendations, but can't do it. This is an outrage. How can I do that? How can I afford my lifestyle if I do that? It, it's this, this paradox, and a lot of those people that I've met in the two decades of ministry, a lot of people have said to me, don't worry, Pastor Sam, one day when I become a millionaire, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you up. Please, man, I'll become a billionaire before you can do that. <laughs> because you have no values. Your value is money and status and mobility. You, and the only reason sometimes people accept Christ or church or community is because you have nothing. You have no friends. You have no job, so hey, why not? You have nothing to lose. And so what happens is in the church, there's a lot of utilitarianism. And I've been talking about this. This might be my next article. Maybe I'll preach it now and write it later. I mean, it's, it's true. People are utilitarians because you have, now you have more to lose. And, and you see in Abram's life, he, he was incredibly wealthy, but he chose to live in a tent. So how do you know he had real faith in spite of his character tensions in the story of Genesis? First lesson we learn, the evidence. Read that with me. Look at what? His? Even with his what? And capitalization. Everything about economics tells us that he should not have lived the way he did. Because he was a billionaire living in a tent, meeting kings. And the most powerful leader of the free, of the, you know, of Mesopotamian Valley, which is Egypt, meeting leaders and kings, yet he chose to live in a tent because of a promise from God. And, and here's what a lot of young people don't seem to understand about putting God in the center of your life. And this is not a pitch. You go, I want you to tithe more. I want, this has nothing to do with that. This is about values. I want you to understand the values of real faith. Even though you might be you know, struggling in your life in some shady areas of your character, and you're afraid, and you're anxious, and that's all good. And people can do that. But what I'm saying is there has to be restrictions economically if you have real faith. And Abraham shows that. He doesn't go out by jets, you know, like three of them. You know, he doesn't buy a helicopter to commute to work like Kobe Bryant does. Okay, that's, the LA traffic is pretty bad. That's warranted. Okay, that's okay. But when the Lehman Brothers presidents and vice presidents begin to ride helicopters from one Manhattan skyscraper to Lehman, we knew that a crisis was coming. But you see, that's Wall Street, right? And I don't hate Wall Street. We need you know, free markets to do good. We need believers to, to acquire assets like Abraham did. But you see, here's the thing. The point is, a lot of us 
complain about how much we have, yet we don't have the character or the values to acquire more. And that's why you're not going to acquire more. Not from God, anyway. And you look at this. Are there restrictions in your life? Are there values in your life? Whether it's a million dollars or ten dollars, can you put God in the center? Because if you study Genesis carefully, the whole Bible, Abraham doesn't tithe his gross income. Because, I mean, how are you going to cow sheep and cows and, you know, and, and maybe silver and gold? He gives a tenth, if you see later, to a high priest of God. He gives 10% of his net assets. He went over and beyond. And then you go, how did he acquire so much wealth? How did he become blessed? How did he say yes to God? He had what? His heart was right. And that's some of us. We need to get our heart right. That's real faith. You can't keep talking about faith and not back it up. So how do you know Abraham had real faith? Well, look at his restrictions. Even with his ascension, an accumulation of wealth, he lives in a tent. He's on mission. What happens to people who acquire a lot of stuff? You know, when you're young, when you're single, you got a lot of time, you're a computer programmer, you can work from home, you're a financial you, you can do whatever you want. You have all kinds of mobility, right? You can leave another, you can live in an island. But when you begin to have more commitments, more assets, more, you know, competing obligations, it becomes dip, more difficult. And if you don't have the values now, you're never going to get the values. And that's why people stop coming to church, right? Because now they got to go to this and to that and there and, and this because they acquired more stuff. And eventually what? You stop living on mission. It's all about competing interests. So this is the question I have for you today. What's the competing interest in your life? What competes with the kingdom's interest, the Lord's interest, and your interest? That collision will tell you where you, where you are at spiritually. Because the truth is, you have your own values, you have your, your own Lord, in those areas. And I pray that the Spirit of God will show you. And it doesn't just have to be around money. It could be about many things. So we look at his restrictions, right? His restraint despite of his enormous wealth. Okay, so let's move down. So from Negev, he went from place to place. You see that? A nomadic lifestyle, a fasted lifestyle, in spite of his enormous wealth, enormous, you know, riches. He came to the place, he called Bethel, remember the altar he created from and the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram went to live the near, right, of the great trees and um, he got there and then what, he, he, where he pitched his tent, there he built an altar to the Lord. Every place Abram went to, he built an altar to the Lord. What do you begin to see in Abram's life? You begin to see a style of worship, a life of worship. Yeah, he lied about his wife. He actually does it again later. <laughs> so if many of you are thinking, well, Abraham was different than me. No, he wasn't. He's just like you. <laughs> you know? He was 
as shady as many of you right now in this room. But God's, God is the artist of the soul. He worked in his life and made him a man after God's heart. But that tension was always there. So the tension is necessary. The struggle is real about putting God first, about having kingdom values. That's necessary. And you see that his worship was flawed and his faith was flawed, but it was sincere and real. See that? You know, my, my son and my kids, my wife and I, we have a different approach than other pastor's kids, the way we try to lead them to a lifestyle of worship. You know, we've seen the previous pastor's kids, you know, and you, here's the thing about pastor's kids, folks, if you've been, grew up in church. They're really good, like Paul <laughs> and Grace, they're really good. They don't even sin. Okay? And they're the really bad PKs. <laughs> like, Satan is bad. Right? They're like, so, so because either you become an angel... Right? I mean, you become like, you know, Mother Teresa types better than your parents, or you become, my goodness, the devil incarnate. Because the previous generation of how we try to impute or pass down our faith was you're going to read, you're going to remember a Bible verse to eat. You're going to read the Bible five times, eight times. And then it was what? It was forced down their throat. You're going to be a man of God. And then there's the Korean-style prayer. They would hit you in the back, pray for you out loud. Your back would be bruised. You know, I mean, it was bad. It was, and you know, and the people just like, you know, a lot of times I remember growing up in the Korean church, and I was just like, why do they hit you <laughs> when they pray for you? It's just like, this doesn't make any sense. And, and, and there's this behaviorism, right? It's all about um, the battle of behavior. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, you can't go to the dance. No, you can't listen to secular music. Justin Bieber, devil music. Harry Potter, burn it, witchcraft. I mean, you know, it's just, no, no, none of that. None of that. For us, we know people are going to curse. Junior high school kids curse. When I was in junior high school, man, every word I used was profanity, some type of profanity. I felt powerful. But I was, of course, I was this good Asian kid in school, but outside playing on the court, talk trash like there's no tomorrow, cursing at everybody. You know what I'm saying? It's just bad. And so I know, so we don't restrict cursing or explicit music. We just let it we go, let it go. We bring them to all the movies. Sex scenes? Oh, well. It's not like they don't have something called the internet. It's not like they can discover it. But you know what? We're there. Every single moment to talk about things. Because what? It's a battle of what? A battle of not behavior, but battle of the heart. And if we win the heart, we win the day. And we win long term. You restrict, you restrict, what do they do? They rebel. And some of my kids are, I mean, both of them are really good at rebelling. That's their spiritual gift. 
And you know, you don't know if their faith is real or not. How do you know when they're that young? You know, and, and um, recently, you know, my, my oldest son, Nathan, he's trying to launch a rap career. You see, if I told my parents when I was 12, <laughs> Mom, Dad, I'm going to be a rapper. They would have went to jail for murder. I'm serious. They would have murdered me. No doubt. My dad would have murdered me. I, they, they would not have, we have sacrificed everything so you could fail as a rapper. We didn't sacrifice for you to become a rapper. I mean, I mean, I'm a nice parent, right? I mean, my, my son wants to be a rapper. I pay for his SoundCloud account. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so he can't ever say he's self-made. We made that very clear. Now, but, but, you know, pay attention to what I'm saying. This is important. Because, but we support that. And you know, you know, kids, you, you know, just like um, J. J. Cole, right? He says in one of the songs, 1985, he says, you got to give a boy a time to grow some. I think that's profound and wise. We have to give time to grow some. So he raps about, you know, in the beginning, we listened to some of his earlier music. Has no, he has no experience with any of that he's talking about. Being G, and I mean, I, I grew up five blocks from the hood. You know, just letting you know, in a very turbulent time in Manhattan in the 1990s, okay? But my son, I mean, he's a suburb kid, you know what I'm saying? He's rapping about all this, he's cursing, there's a lot of profanity. It's just, you know. Recently, he, he said that he was inspired and wrote his first Christian song. And actually, we're going to release it one day at church. Amin Lee, who's also an artist and filmmaker, he's going to come on a guest track. And I'm, I'm getting ready for this. But he, he wrote a Christian song, and we heard it. And my doubts disappeared because he actually... Wrapped without profanity. <laughs> he rapped about Christ, his death, salvation. And my wife and I heard it, and honest to God, we started. <laughs> this, kid, this faith is real. His faith is real, mama. It's, it's super real. Thank God he's saved. Because trust me, one year before, we were like, oh, this kid is lost. He is lost, he's lost, he's lost. He is super lost. Lord, we don't know. Have mercy. Because, you know, none of us cut, you know, when we were growing up or do any kind of things like that. We're good Asian kids, you know what I'm saying? We're really good. Actually, my wife cut, I didn't. Okay. But, and, and we see that his, his faith wasn't perfect and his worship wasn't, you know, you couldn't see it. You know, we don't do QTs as a family that all their pastors' families do sometimes. And a lot of PKs hate their families for that, the, the QT thing. Or we don't have elaborate prayer times around meals and 30 minutes pray for North Korea and South Africa. And, you know, we don't do that kind of thing. We, we, we want the value to be intrinsic and visceral. So, and then you see that in Abram's life and you see that in, in my son's life. You, you, you know, real faith doesn't always look explicit. It's implicit and subtle sometimes, but it's real, and you see it in Abram's life. Even though he messes up, you see his, his heart for worship. You see his heart torn, reaching out to the Lord. Right? So, so how do you know he had real evidence of real faith? Well, second, read it with me. Look at what? His direction 
it, despite some troubling tensions in his life. I look at my kid's direction despite some troubling tensions in their lives. I look also at your direction despite, tell somebody, despite some troubling tensions in your, some shady tensions in your life. Oh, folks, it's about direction. It's not about perfection. It's not about getting it perfectly right. It's not about being the model Christian. Abraham wasn't. Peter, Apostle Peter wasn't. Apostle Paul wasn't. No Christian ever was. It's about your direction. Do you want to worship him? Do you want to put him first? And your heart is always bigger than the life you have for God. And what you're hoping for is that your life catches up. So today, despite where you might be, in, despite and in spite of and even if where you might be today, do you have the desire to worship God, put him first. Even though your life doesn't match up yet, there's incongruence there, there's disparity there, there's distance there. That's real faith. The tension you feel is necessary. Let's stand and pray together. Hey everybody, welcome back to 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and Friends. I'm your host, Joe Liu, and today I'm joined by Pastor Lydia, who's the co-founder of 180 Church and the pastor of Transformation. How you doing, Pastor Lydia? <laughs> How you doing, Joe? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> My little Staten Island came out just there. Uh, I'm doing well, um, and we're here to talk about Dr. Sammy's latest message on the heart of worship, because uh, looking through Abram's life as an example, it seems like even though he is the father of monotheism and the father of, you know... Father of faith. Yeah, father of faith at this point. It seems like Genesis reveals a lot to us about how he might have had some shady dealings even though um, he seems like such a spiritual giant, you know? And really? I've never seen him as a spiritual giant. No. How could you the, after reading through Genesis? Oh, I don't know how I came to that conclusion, <laughs> but, you know, it seems like Father it. Father Abraham, yeah. yes, but definitely not. Uh -huh. He is definitely not a spiritual giant. I think <laughs> that's why uh, it speaks to all of us. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and it, like, really highlights the tensions that I think, uh, you know, I definitely feel about being a believer, but at the same time feeling like my characters aren't my characters. My character is not... <laughs> all there yet because you know that's i think that's like a general assumption i make about you know a lot of biblical figures like oh they were they had the character um and that's how they made it to the book yeah you know they made it into the book <laughs> you know i'm not in the book but you know it's uh that's like a uh, long time ago a youth group girl asked me i think she was in junior high school and she said why should i work on my character for christ if i'm not gonna make it to the, <laughs> the bible i mean that's kind of like the generation where we're at uh. but Yes, you don't make it into the Bible because you've won a medal. Yeah. It is a narrative of people who fall short and right. reminds us that while we're still sinners, Christ has died for us all. Yeah. Yes. Definitely a good reminder cuz I was so, trying to make it into the book. It's a it's a I think if anything Abram shows us that spiritual giants don't exist. Mm. Because he is the father of faith yet I don't know. I I see so many mistakes. Right. And 
it's funny because you see tension of mistakes and like these altars that he builds where mm-hmm. he sincerely worships God. And um right. wow, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like really nice to hear that you can still have genuine faith and a sincere heart of worship even though like you know, you you've done some strange shady things to kind of like be self-preserving. Um you know, just looking at Abram's life in that lens it just kind of goes to show like it's not so black and white in the ways that you know i might view it because i think it's just kind of like oh if i don't have it all together there's no way that i can have a sincere heart or there's no way that i can you know really live my life for god but it's like peppered everywhere in genesis about how even abram um kind of struggled with this tension you know yeah that i think that itself is a false assumption that um because I am a Christian that mm. I should have it all together because the whole point of Christianity, why we need Christ, why God showed up in Abraham's life is because humanity needs God. Mm. You know, we are flawed. We're broken. We're shady. We're uh, all these things mm. apart from God leading right. our lives. Right. That's encouraging. Yeah, I mean, like, look at your life, Joe. Uh-huh. I've known you for so long now, and I'm just thinking, you know, I laughed then, I laugh now, uh-huh. you know, and now we laugh together about uh- even your journey with Christ. Yeah. Has never, ever <laughs> been perfect. No, no, definitely, uh, definitely a product of feeling tension of living my life for Christ, but not really having it all together. Yeah, my all-time favorite is the one that um, at the time we went through this together. Cause, um, but you know when you were trying to reach out to Andy, mm-hmm. yeah. Andy is now you know a brother in Christ, yeah. following Christ, and boy, his story is not perfect either. <laughs> and but the thing is, we say that, but it's not just the two of you. I think it's kind of like how we all start out, yeah. right? Um, but yeah. I remember you were reaching out to him and at the time you shared several times about how God is speaking to you about reaching out to this kid named An- uh, Andy. Uh-huh. And at one point I'm like, who is Andy? <laughs> like you keep praying for Andy to uh-huh. come to church, come to Christ. And you know, you were in high school then, right? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Very long time ago. <laughs> and I remember you were praying for Andy, praying for Andy. And then I'll let you continue the story from here. But <laughs> so he wanted to come to church and what did you say to him let's start with that oh man just that's where we're gonna start (laughs) okay so um andy said one day to me and this kid's like at the time completely uh, buddhist background like like no christian like contact yeah no christian background at all just started had been praying for him i guess yeah i have been praying for him which is like pretty crazy to think about now but you know one day after he came to one of our church services he said hey i think i want to give my life to christ and i was like maybe you should wait till after college <laughs> because i was like this thing is really hard you know like like trust me like you might want to wait till after college but he was like no i, I think i want to come i want to commit my life to christ right because he's understanding that god is gracious mm-hmm, to yeah. accept him as he is yeah and here you are you're saying dude <laughs> you need to step back because this is not yeah. the way you want to go uh-huh. 
right? So you imposed that on him. I was definitely very presumptuous <laughs> about uh, about uh, what faith would look like for Andy, for sure. Well, I don't know if the word presumptuous. <laughs> I mean, it is how it starts, right? Yeah, it yeah. starts imperfectly. The uh, imperfectly, the process is imperfect. Mm. But the steps and the choices we make towards God is real and sincere. And um, that's kind of like the goal, right? The yeah. direction. So, yeah, so you discouraged him. But in spite of the discouragement, he decided to give his life to Christ. He did, yeah. And he did. But, you know, I tease you and I tease Andy. But oh. this is kind of like Abram is encouraging because he reminds us that there are no spiritual giants and that it's in the imperfection the choices we make are still powerful towards mm. our direction to honor God and yeah. to love God. Yeah. It's like really amazing to see how God uses people that, you know, are in development or like are in process. I think it's kind of what you see with like the characters in Genesis, like whether it's Abram or Jacob or even Isaac, or you even know. Sarai. Yeah, even Sarah. <laughs> yeah, like you see just how they're really messed up, but at the same time, God works in their life, and they prove to us and they show to us like what it really means to have sincere faith and a real heart for worship for God. You know, because um, you know at the time I don't think I can say that I knew that I had a heart for God in that moment with Andy, you know, because I was just kind of like going through a tough time with my faith. I just, I wasn't very sure that I loved God, but it goes to show even despite that kind of doubt and wavering in my life, I still cared enough to reach out to Andy or I still cared enough to um, share my faith with Andy. And, you know, even, even though I didn't have my faith all figured out at that point, it's, it, he came to Christ, which was really big for me when I was in high school. You know, I I didn't really I I, I didn't really take in the impact of that. I think at the time, but it was huge. It was really it was really important. Yeah, no, it is huge. Um, and we see in Abram's life how, you know, he first felt, heard the call in Genesis 12, mm. and he leaves everything familiar to answer the call of God to go and and where God would lead him, mm-hmm. right? So he picks up his family, um, Sarai and um, others, and his nephew Lot, who was actually older than him. And we know that in in the last chapter, in the last message, he makes this crazy mistake of telling the Pharaoh that Sarah is his wife. Uh, no, his is his sister mm-hmm. when actually he is, he is her, his wife. And this whole thing happens where um, the Pharaoh literally says, get out and take everything I've given you with, you know, all the, all the gold and silver, take uh-huh. it with you. And he becomes really rich. So you see him traveling, continuing in spite of the mistakes, like the ones you mentioned, right? And he continues and he comes to a place where the fights are breaking out between um, just bet- about wealth. Right yeah. among his family, and so Abram says to him, um, "Hey, let's let's make a decision here. Which direction shall we go?" Lot decides to settle 
at, he looks over and he sees basically Malibu. Mm. You know, you could he sees the skyscraper. He sees yeah. um, I don't know the building, the beach or something. The yeah. beach. He sees the perfect industrial. I don't know bohemian modern. Mm-hmm farmhouse you know he sees all these things and he decides you know what i'm gonna settle there right but um the powerful verb um after abram's name after that incident is abraham went so he continues on to Mm -hmm. follow the call um so yeah though not perfect when it came to a decision whether well, I continue to honor God. Mm. I mean, does Abram know he made a mistake? I think so. He just yeah. got kicked out by a king, right? <laughs> like, he knows. But he decides, in spite of my imperfection, in spite of all this, he turns to God, he builds an altar, and he continues. Mm. And that's kind of like our faith walk, though. Yeah. It's not that we go from perfect decisions to perfect once we come to Christ. Right. It's not at all like that, but it's really a process of realizing, shoot, like this is why I needed Christ. Mm. We realize more and more after we come to Christ that why we needed Christ, yeah. why we needed God's grace. Yeah. And it's a walk of realizing that and moving forward in that. Right. Yeah, I definitely see even for myself like how my faith was not built just like going 100 miles an hour just straight out the bat it was like small incremental decisions i made even despite the fact that i was like uh really messed up i was sinful you know it's especially during my college years being like involved in fraternity life i was doing a lot of uh drinking and a lot of you know drugs um yeah i've been doing a lot i was doing like a lot of uh you know like not good things aren't you glad you didn't have tattoos at that time Uh, (laughs) yeah and that the tattoos on your arm are altars of what god has done and not like what you used to do Uh uh-huh god is good they would have had different meanings back (laughs) then or you would be spending a lot of money i think there's a reason why god didn't allow me to be able to afford them at the time probably (laughs) um but yeah even even then like i think this was like a like a pretty pivotal moment in my life because I think it really determined my faith because even though I was involved with all these like underhanded things and like shady, this like really shady lifestyle is like the best way I could put it. Um, I still made an effort to try to follow after God. I don't know how, like, I don't know what kind of logic went through my head to try and make sense of that at that point in my life. Like, it's like, Oh, like even though I drank heavily the night before, Oh, I have to. I have to go to church the next day. It's like it's small things like so that. So you came to church hungover. A lot. That's great. It explains <laughs> uh, explains a lot. But <laughs> I think that's kind of like the um, part of the mission that uh. we wanted for the church. That people. I mean, there was a time we would have service at four, so that oh. people could literally hungover, roll out of bed, and yeah. still choose to come and hear the gospel yeah, yeah. for the first time or for the second time. You know. Right. So. Yeah, it's like I, even though I didn't have faith figured out at the time, like I think it's just really cool to see that, you know, the same things are exemplified by like Abram in his life in that you know, we don't have you don't have to have it all together, but it's just that small decision to say yes to the things that are like kingdom values or what God values and trying to like still be mindful about God in my life that kind of has eventually brought me to a place 
that you know my faith is stronger or like my faith or like my heart for god has grown um yeah because i think what you're saying is that even in the midst of all the messes uh, i mean you talked about drugs you know being drunk mm -hmm. to the point like you were hung over the next day um in spite of all the choices that i think you're saying um that you made in your you know in in those times or whatever uh. that you there was still a point a to point b that mm -hmm. you in in spite of all of it you were still going from point a decision to follow god mm -hmm. imperfectly to point b to I, I do want to follow God. So mm -hmm. it, there were sincere moments of worship, of turning to God and um, wanting to live for Him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I hear you kind of like dis describing attention mm -hmm. as that, right? Yeah. It was definitely a work in progress. Um, it definitely didn't have it all worked out when I like tried to um, live my life for God despite my behavior. Uh, but it was like the small choices. I think just eventually kind of showed me that I do love God or that I want to love God, you know? And so like slowly these other things I was involved with like dissipated, they would just kind of faded away. And, um, it, it kind of revealed to me that my desire to live for God, it's like, I hope is like sincere, you know, like I hope, is something that I can do for like the rest of my life, you know, because I I felt that tension like every Sunday, you know, every every time I would come, it's like, oh God, I'm sorry, I I don't have it all right right now, like I'm not, I know I'm not like doing the things that I should be doing or like or whatever I should be doing is, it's just kind of you know whatever standards I might have set up for myself, but it's I always felt like God accepting me for where I was at. Um, and still being faithful to me. And so, like, I think that just went to show, like, how the small steps of faith that I was making towards my relationship with God just kind of continued to grow and grow over time, you know. I think Sam talks about um, heart catching up mm. to the life, right? Yeah. Or your life catching, your life catching up, up to the heart. Yeah. Because sometimes the desire in the heart to want how, mu how you want to live for God um, seems a lot bigger. Mm and of a daunting task than the life that you might be living right like, right but you saw progressively that catching up mm -hmm. is what you're saying right yeah i loved how sam called it restriction that abram had restriction even when his ascension was so high like uh. the wealth everything right um and how he calls us to even examine our own life in our ascension, uh, those of us who may be acquiring more or in a better place than we used to be, mm -hmm. and to practice restriction right. for the sake of really keeping God in the center, right? Yeah. Um, do you see um, restrictions in your own life that you have made in your progress or process of following Christ? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I feel like there was always times, even though it would make zero sense. Like I'd be in the haze of partying like on a Saturday night. And I would distinctly remember, like I would be telling people like, I have to go home because I have church in the morning or something mm. like that. Like it's like, 
there was always that thought on the back of my mind, like, oh, I can't stay out. I can't go out on Friday until sometime because I have a small group or something. And so it's like I placed these, like, restrictions in my life because I really valued, even even despite, like, me partying and such like that, like, me, go, me being present at church on Sunday, no matter what state I was in, you know, uh, whether I came in, like, drunk or high, it was always... Oh, you're leaving already, Joe? It's like, yeah, I have to, I have to go. I have, I have church in the morning. I have to wake up like early. Um, I help set up or something like that. So, I think like those restrictions that place just really, you know, reinforced how much, like, even though there was the competing interest of me wanting to like have more fun and be out later with my friends, you, you know, is that stuff didn't weigh out as important to me as being like physically present worshiping God, you know, the next day, no matter like how I might've been feeling, you know, I, I remember Dr. Sammy talking about how you and him acquired an inheritance when you guys were younger, right when you were getting married. Uh, how was it? Yeah. When we first got married, Yeah, when you first got married, mm-hmm. how was it when you acquired all that wealth, um, in your experience with that? It Those was weird? weird for me because all of a sudden I saw zeros that I had never expected <laughs> to have. Right in our bank account mm-hmm. like it was really strange mm. and how the lord led us to go about that i think you know that was um definitely i, I guess the word restriction is very applicable because mm. it was about not just tithing the amount per se mm. or honoring him in that way but it was like lord how do you want us to use this you know, I actually recently had a conversation with one of the members in her church who was a marketing manager mm-hmm. for one of the um, popular athletic brands, right? And um, I was telling her that, uh, oh, I think I used to wear that brand mm-hmm. um, when I was little because I saw it in one of my children's, like, baby pictures. Oh. Not baby pictures, but, like, oh. toddler picture. And she had said to me, um, wow, you were very fashion-forward, at that age. And Mm. I was like, it wasn't me. It was my grandparents. And, um, I was just like, I was telling her, Oh yeah, we used to be dressed up like princesses. And until, um, my parents decided to come to the United States Mm. and my story, like, it's funny, Sam didn't mention me, but I'm a PK, you know, PK meaning pastor's kid. So I grew up in Korea. We grew up in like, you know, like in these, nice apartments Mm. all like furnished nice apartments like what you would see in manhattan right and we grew up really comfortably but my when my father um, got the call to ministry both my mother and dad decided to apply for a visa and we came to the united states Mm -hmm. because they had a heart and a mission to plant a church here Mm. and um and I remember growing up, I didn't know, like, you know, how do you know, like how a church runs or what, you know, you think God does everything, but it really runs through money and finances, right? Mm. Fin- what is finances? It's not spiritual manna. It's, right. it's tithes and offering, right? And um, I remember at one point growing up and I just was like, I know, because they had a, it was an immigrant church and I was just like mm. asking like, how did you get through? How did you pay rent? Like, how did you manage to, you know? And I remember 
my parents telling me um, that they had sold their house. They acquired uh, an apartment in Korea and mm-hmm. they actually sold that and they used it for the ministry when they first came. Wow. And I was like, that explains a lot because my grandma would come from Korea, right? Mm-hmm. And like my grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's, my mother's side, they're like, they were very affluent. Uh-huh. Like they were giving out money to others. Like families would benefit from them. Right. Um, because he was part of like a energy company at the time. Uh, not part of like the head of, right? Oh. So they she comes from Wells, but they adjusted and lived in restriction because they decided to use it for the kingdom. Wow. Which, I mean, your parents, right? Are a product of that ministry. Yeah, yeah. and... and um, that's where I met you, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. When I was a uh, pastor's kid. And I remember I used to babysit you. I used to teach you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the start of how the church began. Yeah. And so, and, you know, Sam talks about this. We acquired wealth. Um, Sam's parents gave him his inheritance um, before they passed away. He's Because mm-hmm. the father, my father-in-law's thing was, you know, he's passed away and with the Lord now, but his thing was like, why would I give it to you later? I want to see you flourish now while I'm alive. So he gave us the inheritance. And at the time, Sam and I had this like idea, like we wanted to start a cafe. Oh. And yeah, for the kingdom, but we we had an idea to start the cafe and we were going to pour the money into the cafe. But the Lord spoke to Sam and said, buy a home. And... It's a good financial advisor, God. <laughs> yes. He gave us a direction to buy a home uh, instead of the business because God was going to start a, a base for a church here. Mm. Even um, the direction of even just acquiring more than we thought we would ever have. Mm. And this, you know, like years back and giving it to the ministry. Yeah, it is a restriction Right? right, but I think it was a restriction that we don't regret at all because mm. it was for honoring God. Yeah. It was for the kingdom of God. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like very missional, like just putting everything that you have, like all the resources that you have, because of God's call to, you know, live our lives in honor of Him and in honor of the kingdom values. Right. I mean, it's uh, it's. I mean, the thing is, like, to not have and to have is very different. When you don't have, you can make all sorts of promises. When I do have, I will. Mm. But the thing is, when you're given what you're given, and, you know, like, people might say, well, I never acquired wealth. But that could have not been possible for us to give to the kingdom of God as much as we did or that we do unless we gave when we had not much, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the thing that it starts there in, in the means that you're given Mm -hmm. in a humble state. I mean, it was funny because Sam called after he told the story of the grandchildren of Hobby Lobby. He told, he called everyone peasants who were making 50,000. It's funny, but we live in New York city, you know, it's very relative, right? I mean, we're relatable. Yeah. But, you whatever you make and what and one of the examples of putting god in the center of it all and saying that god you are my provider all of this you own you lead me 
is by tithing mm. and just 10% of gross income, right? Yeah. Which is, yes, there is a tension when you're coming to that understanding. How do I make Christ the center of my finances? Mm -hmm. That's a tough one for a lot of people. It definitely is, yeah. Yeah, but it is like the first step when you don't have much when you're not making mm -hmm. your ideal salary when right. whatever you're given now how are you how you yeah steward that but also what are the restrictions um that you would create for yourself mm. so that you could say you know what i make this much and i could do all sorts of things with this right paycheck but first and utmost i want to honor god with that i yeah. think that step is Seems like a baby step, but it's like a huge step, I mm. think, of honoring God. Right. Because finance is such a huge part of yeah. our lives. Yeah. Like a lot of us are so glued to like financial worries and like financial securities. It seems like, and it, it never really gets easier, does it? Like does, you know, like to be giving and giving, you know, if we don't start now. You know, you know what? It's easy for me now. Like I was like who cares how many zeros like you know yeah. like let's do what god wants like it was easy but it wasn't always easy mm. i think that's the thing like for me it wasn't about whether when the amount gets bigger does it get harder like for me as the amount gets hard bigger it didn't for me it didn't matter as much mm. because it was there was a time when it was hard when i was young i remember i got my first paycheck when i was much younger mm. in high school and um like the thought of having something when i never had something like going from like allowance of like five dollars to yeah. like getting paid hourly wage for like tutoring or whatever it's like whoa that's a lot of money right. like you know whether it was like two hundred dollars for example right mm. i remember like oh man and then and thinking about hiding that amount that was a challenge yeah. because all of a sudden i didn't have like it was easy to be generous before but mm. it was like all of a sudden it's like uh oh yeah you know how am i gonna put christ in the center can i like it was a challenge then mm. but i chose to because i wanted to right and i think doing that over time and um has honestly like gave me a muscle i think Right. that i didn't have to go to the gym for yeah now it's like none of this like now. high intensity stuff like <laughs> yeah that itself was high intensity enough that i had developed a muscle like for yeah. me like i didn't care mm. what amount like because right. for me the goal became not the amount goal became i want to honor god i want to love god mm. and um and when i don't have to when i do have from much yeah. not feeling very eloquent today but uh -huh. you know like you get my point right so and but that's awesome to hear that you know people of such great means are doing that yeah. and for them it's nothing right. as well because well their mission is so clear like that's not what i live mm, for yeah. to live a life to not work is not my goal right. but i want to continue to live for the mission of god mm is also what we see in abram's life yeah so it's not easy at first but it does for me it's easier mm. because it's no longer what do i need from god you know but it's i want to honor him like the goal becomes to want to honor him mm. um but 
you i mean none of you are pks right what is a pk pastor's kid but mm. it's so funny to hear sam's not a pk his father was an elder i'm a pk i'm oh. a pastor's kid yeah. and boy like everyone knows a bad pk to a good pk i guess yep um i qualify as a good pk that did bad stuff behind the scenes mm. <laughs> rebellious behind yeah. but um yeah what did you guys <laughs> think of that i think it's pretty cool actually <laughs> yeah um, yeah you know because like you know like a lot of people have bad experiences with like having religion or like mm. faith shoved down their throats even though it's kind of like you know if if faith is such a personal decision you know it has to kind of come personally but when somebody is just like hey you have to do this you should behave this way or i want you to do this we always pray before we eat or like stuff like that you know it's kind of like you're doing things uh, like based off of an authoritarian style of like growing up but it, it loses its meaning you know and so like to hear that you know nathan like grew his faith or like his faith grew in such a way where it was like very organic like this mm. process that was like for him to discover for him to um really journey on for himself and to see that the sincerity of his faith was seen through his art like through his music is just and like how you guys feel so strongly about that i mm -hmm. think is like pretty cool you know i think because like if i were to think about how i would try to you know introduce faith to like my children or like my future children like i like i have no template for that really you know but it's kind of interesting to see like how nathan's faith is growing mm -hmm. I, at the 12 you know at, like to say the least yeah i because i think like it's easy to emphasize because you look and sound a certain way that you're living for God, mm, but yeah. I think we saw in the, you know, among our friends and so many people that because you look pious, that you have a heart for God. I mean, right. that's never, that's, uh, yeah, you could look like a goody two shoes, but on the inside, you know, like Sam jokes, but mm. you have the gift of rebellion right? or the spiritual gift of rebelling which our kids have uh. um yeah and i loved what he said you know like i mean yeah like nathan has a long ways to go and you know josh too but i mean they're so young but it's how do you know it's legitimate faith is mm. really the question that um sam is answering through this message mm. um and it came not through behavioralism and emphasizing behavior, like a list of, well, these are things you have to do in order to acquire that heart. But actually that heart comes to a process of real, genuine, sincere moments, intention, choosing. And I think that's, for us, it was a big deal because we saw that in Nathan. He voluntarily, like no one told him. Mm to write the song you know and the thing is like you could write a song about christ about god like he, he acquires a lot of knowledge here yeah. and there you know in the messages like he could put something together but when we heard the song it was a profession of his own faith recognizing his own process of how he fell short mm. of of god and how he 
those shown grace, like, he still failed. But how, it was really about that, like, how his heart wanted to follow him. Hmm. And for me, you know, I won't give it away because Sam said he's going to release it. But for me, like, that part, I was like, oh, he understands. Hmm. Like, he understands. Like, last year he was so lost, you know. But, like, he understands that there was a falling out part where he was distant in some ways and he had to turn back and it was only through Christ. Like, I don't know for me, him processing that. Yeah. He's 12. Like, you know, we always say he's a little mature than 12 or what, but like him professing that in his song, in his art was a huge statement. Right. Um, and it showed, although explicitly you see him and it's like, you know, flamboyant and artistic or whatever and profanity, like, implicitly you saw the real fruit of who he's becoming and what he's choosing. Mm. And I think that's what we believe, not just for our children, but we believe that's how faith comes about. Legitimate faith is shown through a process of time, mm. not because you emphasize certain, emphasize certain things. Right. And it is how God, I think also, um, what's the word? Um, sees us like how god sees us too it's not like oh you did that deed or you you read that or you do qt or you Mm. it's not the list of things but it's really that direction when you choose it over time it accumulates into the life that you want to live for god yeah and i think yeah yeah that's that's really that's number one really powerful because like um, I can definitely relate to sort of that similar process that you see in Nathan. And also it's like, um, it's, it's really cool for me to be reminded that our sincerity to worship God or to have a heart of worship for God grows, you know, or like that. It Like you might not see it at first, you know, you could be like, kind of questioning you know based off perceptions like oh i don't know about this person or even myself you know because i think i'm guilty of like being somebody that kind of operates based off of a list like that i that i hit these check this these checkpoints in like my day or my week to like really you know say that i have genuine faith it's like but you know god scratches all that out and says like hey i, I see how sincerely and honestly you're pursuing me and like you're pursuing me with your heart. And, you know, that's, that's like the marker of how we know, you know, we have, we have faith and like we want to worship God with our lives, you know, and to see that in Nathan and that progression is kind of, is really encouraging, you know, and we see that with like Abram as well, you know? Yeah. I think there's like, you know, building blocks of learning, how to live for God? Mm, yeah. Like, how do you know something you don't learn? You know, you or well, you only learn, you only know because you've been taught. Yeah. And it seems like in Abram's life, yes, there's aspects of him messing up, but also he had to learn through time who God was. Mm, yeah. And I think that process is, um, we have, Yes, we have the word, we have community, we have the message. Like we have, we're, we have so much more resource now, mm. but all of that coming together and convergence of the person, the follower and life matching up to the heart is, 
I think um, the process that all of us are in, mm. you know, and that's how you go from point A to B. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, it's encouraging overall. Right. I think so. Definitely for me, because like, you know, I don't like I want to continue to be sincere and honest with my faith, you know, for God. And I think it's like to know that God sees that and that, you know, for God to see that even though I might fall short and even though I have so many shortcomings and I'm never really going to get it right. It's like God sees that I want to honor him or I will continue to try to choose to honor him and like with no other intention other than to want to live my life for the kingdom and for his mission you know um yeah and i i think that's one of the things that kind of brings me like a like a sense of security because i could get like really anxious about like am i doing all the right things you know um and getting like wrapped up in all that but you know it's all about like where we're headed right like the direction as opposed to like you know god i don't think i don't think abram had it all together before god called him to to go you know to where who knows but but to go you know and that's like peppered in the story with uh genesis 12 13 and to see how we get from there to genesis 22 um just just speaks like volumes about how faithful god is to us you know yeah you know what the message was so powerful for me Mm. um Like, yeah, like even just points that sometimes real faith is very implicit and it's not so explicit. You know what I mean? Like stating the obvious Mm. of things. I think it's a very logical message stating the obvious of things. And it's really about examining for believers. It's really examining the obvious things that, um, are you honoring God in your life? Mm, Are you? are you settling it's really re-asking the obvious questions and examining again like Mm. how are you worshiping god in your life um have you settled like these are questions looking through the example like given that there is no spiritual giant and abram's not and as you read the story of abram and many of many other characters in the bible it's a narrative of failure Um, where God really saves the day, right? It's really a story of God's grace. But it is also a story of people becoming as they see God's goodness and as they get to know him, choosing into the things of God and becoming something else that you never thought Hmm. they would become. And this is what um, Abram shows us. So there is no spiritual giant. So yeah, it's really asking the obvious questions that... um, really define our faith is it real or is it not let's make it real like yeah i I guess i just want to leave it there Mm. um and refer us to the ministry time it is such a powerful word of putting god in the center um worshiping him um yeah though not perfectly sincerely and in direction choosing him and what does that look like for all of us um, is really the question I think that this message has answered and the Spirit is asking all of us um, through the message and the text. 
So I want to refer us to the ministry time and have this examination and um, this week throughout small group and throughout your own time with God, really asking the question, God, have I settled or am I worshiping you? And Or God, I've known that I have not been honoring you with my life. And in these parts of my life, I want to do that and choosing into those decisions where your heart is intention about and um, your heart and your life catching up, Mm. you know? So that's my prayer for all of us. And um, yeah, so let's, let's dive in this week to all of that together this week. Amen. Amen. Where is your direction with God today? Now, I'm not talking about a list. Uh, did you do your QT check? Did you go to service check? Did you, go, did you pray check? I'm not talking about a list. Because actually lists don't work. I don't think you have a list about how to love your wife. Because that would be really strange. She goes, thank you, honey. You did something so nice for me. Yeah, it was on my list of things to do. (laughs) That might end in divorce. See, the battle of behavior versus the battle of heart. The battle of heart always wins. The heart will do what it wants. And what the enemy will tell many of you that are struggling today in your faith is you'll never be real. You'll always be like this. They try to guilt you. See, that's the problem with this generation. You don't read the Bible anymore, so you don't even know what the Bible says. And you look at Abraham's life, and and he's just as shady as us. But you begin to see evidence, implicit evidence, of his heart and tensions for God and reaching out to God, like many of you today. So will you tell the Lord, Lord, I do have a desire to worship you. I do have a desire to put you first. I do have those desires, but there are parts of me that cowards out, that's scared. Match my heart with my life. And it's not about, hey, what have I began to do or begun to do? It's about the direction. So let's come to the Lord today in our direction. Say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I say, yes, help me. Help me. Folks, this is how we're going to close today. When I wrote this piece about the southern border, it was a political piece. I was just giving facts based on government statistics on what was happening. It wasn't from CNN, and it wasn't from Fox News. It was from GOV, from the Trump administration's site, directly, and I gave the facts. Not influenced by any sources except the government's. I responded to one comment, because there were thousands of comments, and I didn't want my Facebook to be flooded with hate mail or love mail. But this is what someone said. I can't believe a Christian magazine is telling other Christians to stop killing people. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I like sarcasm. It wins me over. And I responded, sometimes, I guess, sometimes you have to state the obvious. 
Now I say this is because sometimes we have to state the obvious for you because sometimes our issues are missing. We miss in, in plain sight. What I'm telling you today is something really obvious. Like the Bible says it in the greatest commandment, to love your, to love your God with what? All, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All I'm telling you is, in conclusion, is honor God with your life for no other reason except to honor God. I'm not giving you a prosperity message. Hey, if you honor God, God will bless you. God will make you rich. If you do it for that motive, then you're going to abandon God at some point, right? Because you're, what, your real idol is money. It's prosperity, success, whatever that might be. Today, what I'm telling you is just a biblical command from the Torah to the New Testament. Honor God for the sake of honoring God. As A.B. Simpson once, a great theologian in the 1800s once said, first, it was the blessing, but now it is the Lord. First, it was the gifts. Now, it's the giver. Will you love God and honor God because, not because of a reward? That's where real change begins. When you move from a Trinitarian, when you move from a utilitarian lens and move toward a Trinitarian reality. I love God because he's good. I love God because he's faithful. I love God because he deserves honor and worship. That, it's reward itself. Will you bow your heads in prayer? In Genesis 12, when God says, I will bless you to make you a blessing, he says to Abram this one statement I think could apply to all of us today in our anxieties and our fears of what it, the tension of what it means to move in the direction of God's kingdom and God's mission. He says, I will bless you. And I'll make you great. And I'll turn you into a great nation. But he says, I will be your shield and your, very, your great reward. Until God becomes your great reward above all else, those competing interests will always eat you alive underneath, around. No one will be more faithful to you. No one will be as steadfast. No one will honor you and love you like the Lord. So just logically honor him. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? Lord, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
Everyone, we just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. It's available at 5397-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv.